Welcome to Unapologetic Women, the podcast with Tony and Saoirse about current affairs, culture, politics, life, and how we got here. These are unscripted conversations about the things we care about, not the things that we're experts in. I feel like we always have, it's interesting, we always have this moment of pause as we press record. And for me anyway, I'm just like, where do we start? What do we, what are we thinking? Do we need to check in? How are you doing? I'm coming to you today bloated and hot. <laughs> um, no, I'm doing all right. I'm 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 tired. I think I worked myself too much at physical therapy because I'm a nutter. And I really, I'm, today's my five week mark since post-surgery. And I think in my head, I had expected that I would be a lot further along the journey than I am. And so enter in working really hard um, to try and get there. That's actually a pretty nice, nice is the wrong word. That is a is a very on point check-in for the conversation that we've been having around mental health of just, it. there's something about the fact that we are semi fully functioning and able to start the day and end the day and kind of be okay is actually a win mm. and we always feel like people especially people like you and I we always set the bar so high but the fact that we wake up we woke up um, I'm also realizing that this camera angle is so bad sorry for people who are listening You're a babe. it's like it's from below but there is something that we forget about life is fucking life is hard life is no joke mm. and the fact that I listening to you do that check-in I was just reminded and I don't know why I went there but like shit we're actually constantly healing from something Mm. physical or mental and both at the same time or both at the same time healing from a breakup healing from devastation of you know covid pandemic healing from wars being kicked off left right and center that may or may not affect you directly or indirectly healing from a wound we're just I feel like we are which is what makes human beings pretty incredible Mm. Um, but listening to you, I, I don't know why, but that went straight into my mind of shit, we're constantly healing and that's exhausting and tiring. So the fact that we are able to wake up the next day, get through a day and get shit done, even if it's one thing, is pretty, is a feat. Well, and speaking like the other thing, I think for me in this conversation that we've been having on mental health and social media and the role it plays, one of the one of the greatest things that I've gotten out of social media since this injury is this community of people that Mm. have had ACL injuries and like have a little, you know, Facebook group where it's like, oh, I did the, you know, I got the half moon ride today or like I I fired my quad twice. And like seeing those little wins from other people who are literally going through exactly the same thing that you are, even if I've never met them or I never will meet them in my life. There is something to our episode last week of the goodness that that allows for me to see that other people are also crying when they can't flex their quad muscle after five weeks, right? Um, And so I think there is an important role that we've been discussing of what social media plays when it comes to that healing or mental health um, part. And I'll steal a quote from a friend of mine, Benedict, who says always, the internet has connected everyone, both the good and the bad. And I think that's the perfect example. It has connected 
someone who might have a weird hobby and they might think they're all alone with this hobby about miniature planes or aircrafts or even more specific miniature world war ii whatever and then they realize no there's a community out there of people who are going through the same thing or excited by the same thing as me and then i think we spoke a lot about that last week and that's a nice reflection of where we want to focus on this week it also brings together all of the worst kinds in humanity. It brings together the trolls and the bullies. Um, and I, I think we both agreed that we had to have a part two to last week's conversation because we couldn't talk about the role of social media in mental health, the role of social media in today's lives, in, in all of our lives, without talking about that negative side effect of it. Um, yeah. So yeah, let's, let's dig into that. Well, I think just grounding it in last week's episode. So we specifically spoke about that community aspect, the lowering the barriers of entry to access to education around yeah. mental health. But the reverse of that, right? It's it's also allowing for you to look at someone else's life and decide that their life is better than yours. Or for someone to look at your life and decide that they have free reign to comment on your life and tell you why you're not good enough or why you are doing things incorrectly or why you're wrong or they believe that you're wrong or that you have a funny accent or enter in thing here. And while it gives you that fantastic community and lowers the barriers, the question that constantly comes up, whose responsibility is it to manage the pain points that come from social media interactions where you don't have the responsibility. And we talked about this maybe earlier this season or last season. You don't have the same responsibility that you do when you walk into a room and you walk Mm -hmm. up to someone, you're not going to sit and maybe some people will, but I know I don't walk up to someone and say, that looks like you got shit haircut. But if you're behind a screen, it's a lot easier for you to just say things flippantly that actually hold a lot of weight. And the thing that is always missing, or all, I hate saying always, that the thing that is almost always missing is context. So you, as as a person who is scrolling on TikTok, Twitter, you see something you don't like, you have a knee-jerk reaction and you just, you know, you react to it and you put it out there. And what you are probably missing is the context behind this. A, there's a human being. That person might be actually not responding to you in that moment because they've moved on from that and they're looking at something else. Or there's also the context of you might not understand what is going on. And I had a perfect, perfect example of this is I land I was scrolling today on TikTok and I landed and when you scroll that shows you like the people that are going live in that moment as well and so you can choose to like go on and I semi-accidentally clicked on one and it was a, a woman doing ASMR which is something that I have seen and heard a lot about but I know very little about and ASMR is this whole thing that is now happening on social media around noises so it's people who talk into the mic whisper or who do crackling sounds and some of it can be very soothing for people it's like people who walk through nature and they do crackling sounds of people walking on sand or people walking on crinkly leaves um and there was this this woman doing it and she's just tapping on things and tapping on a bag and and you could see people coming in going well this is bloody bizarre and this is weird what the hell's going on with her why does she keep tapping move the bag out away I can't hear why are you whispering and it was a complete lack of context but you could see the people who were actually tuning in to listen to ASMR kept getting very angry like bugger off if you don't like this you don't need to be here I don't need your negative comment just keep scrolling what do you mean you don't know what and it was just Mm. like it was the difference between people 
taking a decision to go on that person's channel and that live and people who are accidentally with no context in that moment coming to something they don't know and they don't know little about and the need the knee-jerk reaction there is just to hate on it and I was just seeing that unfold and it was fascinating and algorithms play into that like that whole concept of I'm identifying landing into content that I may not actually have any context on is is not by mistake it is intentional that you are landing on said content for whatever reason they may all be different attributes for the individual people that landed there but it's intentional by the platform the other thing that came up for me as well um is you talked from a content creator, um, and we can talk about the user as well, but there's an interesting piece from the content creator perspective is that you actually spoke about it with your with your now ACF. The community that you found, you see it a lot with content creators and nine times out of 10, every content creator will tell you and the community that I found mm. is you know just epic and the people I wouldn't be there without that community. I wouldn't be there without that audience. I wouldn't be there without the support of people to tell me to keep going on and with every goodness is the bad side of, I oh my God, I never realized just how much thick skin I needed because it is very hard to put out, it's already very vulnerable to put content out there in the world, but also even more vulnerable to see then people's reactions to it who don't understand. And you have to sort of shake that off of that desire to justify why you did something or to explain why someone might be missing content. Um, so it's interesting where I was just, I was thinking about this today that you can't have one without the other basically. Mm. Like they just, wherever you go, you're connecting the good and you're going to get the bad. And every t- if you blow up and you get in front of more people, which is what TikTok often does, is when I put out content that's beyond the people who have subscribed to my page, but they're testing the waters out there with other people. These are people coming in and discovering the content with no context, mm. which is always a fascinating experience as a content creator. What I've seen a lot on social media recently is the introduction of boundaries, I think is the best way for me to describe mm. it where and it shows up differently for different content creators and Jordan Firstman um who is a very funny comedian for those of you listening he does impressions of like inanimate objects uh but he's a very very funny comedian based in Los Angeles and he in the height of the pandemic kind of rose to fame we'll call it um and did some you know very outlandish fun activities one of which was this concept of secrets So we would have a question box and you put in your deepest, darkest secrets and he would then Mm. read it out loud. And, you know, it was anonymous always. And he today actually shared a thing. Someone wrote, oh, you never responded to me in my DMs. And he, you know, was reading that out, one of the secrets and had shared very explicitly that he can't, he has decided to set as a boundary that he will not read his DMs because it is a place that people go to like violently attack him yeah and it's extremely like mentally challenging for him to do that i see it with a number of other influencers as well this concept of just like setting boundaries where they share something and they say i'm not asking for advice please do not tell me that you know a good place for me to go and do something and it's only recently that i've seen this idea of like i'm setting boundaries because instagram or whatever the platform is is a place for me to share my content you're coming into my home the same way you are coming into my house in person and I am allowing you in and I'm welcoming you in. So I'm actually going to create some boundaries. As if you were coming to my house, there's no shoes, right? Like it's that same type of premise that I'm now starting to see people doing. And in particular, when we think about the mental health awareness week that we are in right now, 
a lot of folks are doing it and explicitly naming, I'm doing this for my own mental health. I have to set these boundaries or else I will not be a valuable content creator for you. And it's for me, it's interesting because the boundaries, I think, tie in so nicely with the context Mm. um, of, to your point, someone is giving context to, whereas normally you'd pick up, and I think you're seeing this a lot with content creators, you'd pick up your phone and you'd share something. Now it's, you pick up your phone, you share something, and there's that little asterisk of, and I am sharing because A, it's helpful to me. B, I've been asked to share it because I've heard that in my personal life, other people say, I would have wished someone else would have told me that. Or C, I'm actually seeking advice. Or B, whatever it is. But that piece of context, I think, is that journey that people are on of realizing, oh, context is actually really important. And I see it now even with the content that I put out there. I mention Formula One regardless, wherever I can, in the title, in the comments, so that it's so obvious what I am talking about, so that people don't get in 50 seconds in their video and go, what the fuck is she talking about? I don't don't care about this. So it's interesting that boundaries for me comes, ties in so nicely with context. And then there's something else that you said that I thought was what you were going to say that I've discovered myself as well. And it ties so nicely to the conversation we always have social, which is the guidelines. and is it solely, and I think for a long time, we as content creators and as users expected the tech companies to be setting those guidelines. And I think we've moved a little way, a little away from that for two reasons. A, we're realizing that the amount of content that is put out there, no matter how many content moderators you have, they will never catch everything. Um, but I think also that realization of actually, maybe you do have a role as someone who is having, who has a voice, who's created a platform, who's bringing people together. Maybe there's a little bit of a role, just like inviting people to your home is setting those guidelines, setting that context. And I've something that I've noticed that I can't be sure is a direct correlation to this, but you will find this fascinating. When I started my account about Formula One on TikTok, it was heavily geared towards men. So it was, I was close to 80% male followers and 20% female followers. And as I grew and as I started doing it more and more, I set boundaries. So I said, no sexism, no racism, no bigotry. Every question is a good question. Don't embarrass each other. Um, I have no tolerance. I have no tolerance for that. Um, And it's not that you're hating on me. I actually don't care about that piece. It's that I want people to come here and feel like they can actually ask the questions because that's the whole concept of my account. Ask the questions and I'll try and get you an answer. Um, And over time, I started doing that more and more. And I realized that more and more women were coming forward into the group and more and more women were feeling comfortable asking their questions without being embarrassed by the lads and the middle-aged men who are just like, you're just following this for the cute boys or you're not a real F1 fan. And I looked this week and I'm now getting to 50-50, which is wild. So in four months, I've gone from 80% men to about 54% men and cannot guarantee that there's a correlation. But I do deeply inside of me think that by setting my context, my boundaries and my guidelines for my community... I've actually allowed women to be who they want to be without knowing that they're going to come here and not be shit on, basically. Mm. Um, I'm a, that's the story I'm telling myself anyway. Um, so I love what you were saying about the boundaries because I think it's important for you as a human. But I also think, to your point, it, like it trickles down into the people who are engaging with your content or engaging in these spaces. It comes back to leadership. People are coming to you and looking for your, for your content. It is really important that the person that they are seeking from is able to lead by example specifically this is what my boundaries are and this is what i believe yeah this is my style this is how i want this community to live if you'd like it stay if you don't 
bugger off. Bugger off, go elsewhere. I don't know if I would have had that leadership skill, to use your words, back in the day at the age of 18 um, versus versus now, mm. um, and you know, in my mid 30s. So there's something interesting yeah. there. But the thing I really want to talk to that I really want is the question that we always come back to, Sorsha, is, is it the responsibility of the content creator? Is it the responsibility of the user? Or is it the responsibility of the tech companies to make sure that the tools that we are using, the tools that are being put out there, we know that they've got a reinforcing nature. We know they exacerbate our tendencies. We know there's the danger attached to it. So who's responsible for making sure that none of this goes too far. Well, and to have that conversation, I, we have to look at Trump and we have to look at the deafening silence um, of Twitter, uh, his platform of choice. And and we have to look at why that decision was made. And in particular, and I, I want to hear from you on that, Tony, the Facebook oversight board um and their decision to ultimately you know indefinitely deplatform. but I, I don't think we can have the conversation without acknowledging for the first time in these social media platforms history of existence that they have made such a public display basically it's like he's the sample child right he's the example kid he's that's what's happened here like if you do this this is what will happen. Like, your toys will be taken away. And he's an interesting one, too, because he's a democratically elected head of state. Or he was, anyway. Uh, still mm-hmm. is in that sense. But and, and this is where it's also I've been thinking about this, of, like, how do you treat everyone and do you treat everyone similarly? But we can get to that. Um, so the really easy, like, two, three-minute um, deep dive or quick overview of what happened, we obviously had, we all experienced Trump's every thought being tweeted um, to you. I love that. We've experienced then the deafening silence since he was banned. And so Trump found himself banned from both Twitter, mustn't forget, and Facebook. And Mm -hmm. he recently actually, funnily enough, I find quite amusing, decided to start what can only be described as a poor attempt at a blog. Um, And I guess that's what happens when platforms deplatform you. You have to find a new, you know, you have to create your own platform, basically, to have your voice being heard. And most recently, the Oversight Board reviewed Facebook's 2019 decision to indefinitely suspend Donald Trump. Um, And the key word here is indefinitely, which to your what you were saying was like never occurred before. And the and Tony, just on it, 2020 decision. 2020. Oh, yes. It's 2021 now. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. 2020 <laughs> decision um, of suspending Trump. And they ultimately upheld um, the oversight board from Facebook, which is an independent board, basically decided to upheld, uphold sorry, the initial decision of Facebook. And there's a couple of pieces that came out last week that I actually found really interesting. And they're both are all of the two pieces that I specifically and I'll well, we can share these, but that caught my interest or that caught my eye. We're talking about how the problem isn't actually Trump per se. So the problem isn't actually the trolls, let's call them. And the solution probably isn't deplatforming these people, but rather the solution should lie within the algorithms of the tech. So i.e. the bad actors aren't the actual problem. Solving it isn't like playing a game of whack-a-mole, which is content moderation and censorship. And actually, if we want to get ahead of the problem, which I think is something that you and I have argued time and time again, we need to look to the tech companies and look at how the tech is actually created in the first place and look at, in this case, like algorithms and how they're serving up the news, which I just found 
fascinating um yeah I think that's like the two, three minute like overview of where we've landed yeah. with Trump. Mm. Um, and, and also I, the, the one thing I will add is it's, we're going to have this conversation and I kind of know where we're going to end up in this conversation, which is it's fucking hard and it's really complex and no one actually has a solution to this right now. Policymakers are catching up with tech companies. Tech companies are still playing a game of whack-a-mole. Um, and it's really hard yeah. for them to ID also the difference and the definition of what is considered harmful content versus vile content. And I think this is what got Trump deplatformed in the first place, is it veered from vile content to actually harmful, directly harmful to people. So, yes, the, there's a couple things in that thread. So Trump's, Trump's content, and I'm sure someone will do a study of it, but I would love to just get a, like, where was the tipping mm. point? Right, because if we think pre-president Trump, where he was a citizen, he was still pretty inflammatory in his general demeanor and commentary of things. Flashback to where he demanded Obama's birth certificate, right, before he was running for anything. But when did it shift? When did the shift in his content become life-threatening, damaging, potentially dangerous to society and what like if we're if the answer we believe is ai how can you identify when someone's content trajectory is veering to be potentially harmful or dangerous versus a blip or a moment in time where their content is you know more aggressive because of a particular thing that's happening to them or that's happening in the world and then how can you rely on ai to identify that where there isn't the ability for a human being to say oh i know that they are emotional right now because something is happening in palestine and they are experiencing it in a specific way and so their content has changed the tonality of their content has changed that to me is a very scary idea that AI is the answer to this extremely complex problem. I also don't think an oversight board is the answer. And there was a Financial Times piece, and I pulled it up, Facebook's oversight board, an imperfect solution to a complex problem. The social media's platform's self-policing model is an attempt to stave off regulators, say critics, which I actually believe, like 100%. It's a really great way to say, middle fingers up to any oh, government regulatory really? body. I disagree. Do yeah, you? I, we haven't had no, that No, we haven't. Okay. Um, I do see where it's, it's in their own interest, but I do fundamentally believe, and I know, I think there's few of me that think like this, maybe, I don't know. I, I, I do fundamentally believe it is Facebook trying to grapple with a really hard problem and trying to find a solution to it knowing that regulators are not even close to coming up with how to solve for this and they are realizing just how much facebook has moved from being a fun cute little tool that people use to share pictures to becoming actually something that is used in politics in elections that is shifting the course of how democracies function and i think they have had the slap in the face or kick in the butt or however you want to go okay we need to wake up and we need to do something and i think they are very much aware that this is not the right solution but they have to be and this is like the thing that i kind of agree with you of they have to be seen doing something and so this is the thing that they're doing but i do think 
below beneath it all there is a desire to actually come up with a solution because this is hurting them in the long term but to me it's a it's a self-glorified and self-funded stopgap in a regulatory landscape so instead of saying no we're not actually doing anything we're just letting it all go to shit we're going to bring together people we select who are experts in whatever it is, the 23 fields that they've identified. And we're going to pay for it. And then we're also going to select the cases at which they see. These 23 or 26 people are not sitting there every day going as a UGC moderator. They are getting cases brought to them. What's the actual parameters for cases that get brought forward? Who decides that? Why is that decision being made? How do you, how do you account for implicit bias that exists in those human beings? Like, like, that is where to, regulation is, it has a responsibility. Regulatory bodies have a responsibility. And I do not believe this is a good solution because you, you want to be seen to doing something good. Let's handpick people and handpick cases that they get to review. Yeah, I also, but I also in, in that, I'm just like, what the fuck are the regulators doing? Like this is not censorship isn't new hate speech isn't new and yet we still don't have a global definition of how we can all come together as society and agree what hate speech is come on people we've been talking about this for what 100 plus years and so this is where i have a little less sympathy because i'm like facebook is still pretty new and looking at what they've done no matter how imperfect it is they are actually trying to do something in a very short period of time based on regulations. And I'm generally on the side of pro-regulation. I'm big for it. But I'm just like, what the hell are you doing? We, we've known this has come. Uh, we've known this is, this is, this is going to, there's going to be a tipping point, which I actually really don't know why this is bringing back to the question that you asked, which I absolutely loved is when was the tipping point for when mm. people decided or it felt you know, icky and people are like, okay, something has to stop. And I, I've been thinking about that and I actually don't think there ever was a tipping point. I think it's more one of these like death by a thousand paper cuts Yeah. of mm-hmm. the reason why it was all fun and games at the beginning or people could laugh about it is again, ties to the algorithms of social media. It drove traffic. And it's something that I keep telling people is every time that I put out content that people don't agree. If you don't agree with it, scroll past because if you stop like put a comment start spewing hate you're just creating more engagement for me which is what i keep trying to tell middle-aged angry white men that see female content creators talk about a sport that they deem is not feminine and should only be for men don't engage with my content because the only thing you're doing is you're boosting it up in the algorithm do you understand that and so this is where the like the death by thousand paper cuts comes to mind here of they didn't do anything about it in the beginning because it was great for business. It was great for engagement. It got more eyeballs. And then over time you realize, oh shit, we've created a monster. And so I love the ideal. I don't think there is a tipping point um, unless you disagreed mm. it, but I, it was interesting the way you positioned it. So to me, that is a tipping point and it is when you break the law. And so I think that's the other piece of this conversation especially as it relates to trump he was to your point the you know death by a thousand paper cuts he was messing with people's mental health every day the amount of grown-ass adults who are phenomenal human being and business people in their own rights that woke up to say holy shit what has he done today right that 
was is its own type of like that death by a thousand paper cuts. But there's nothing illegal about that. The president of the United States can, if he would like, sit there all day and tweet. There is no rules saying he can't. Where it tipped was the demanding of it. So it must have actually been a 2021 decision because it came after the January 6th events. We need to look it up. They didn't kick him off before... No, because they didn't kick him off before the um, January 6th. Anyway, needless to say. Yeah, when he time, came out time and... is a, a warped concept right now. Time is truly a warped concept. I, d- I knew it wasn't 2019 when you said that. I was like, no, he's been around. He's been in my brain for a really long time. Um, but it was, yes, it was him inciting violence and saying whatever the language was of like, grab your arms and get to the Capitol or whatever the hell the specific words were. That to me was the tipping point. And I don't believe ever that it is a, it is a private entity's responsibility to That's then it. uphold the law. It is absolutely their responsibility to say, you can no longer use our platform because you you have um, gone against our terms of services or Broken our acceptable up. use policy. But it is not their responsibility to say whether or not he broke the law. And as we all know, Congress failed us. And no, he wasn't impeached. So therefore he didn't break the law in the eyes of the government. Yes, he is going through a court battle right now in New York with his taxes. Sure, he'll probably get fined a bunch of money. But for what he did to the country from his four-year tenure in the White House, he is never going to be held accountable to that. And there are millions of people who have the thousand paper cuts that you talk about from how he held the office. Those people who stormed the Capitol are getting sued and their argument is he made me do it. Of course they are. Because they are individual citizens Mm -hmm. who broke the law. They didn't have a White House and a presidential seal to back them up in what they were doing. And I think, again, when I think about this, is the upholding of the law, the breaking of the law versus the the community guidelines or the company's rules and their own rules and privacy policies and all of that. Where I think it brings me back to what I was saying at the start is we could be having this conversation. It could be endless. So this conversation can keep going and we will it will continue to feel like whack-a-mole unless we solve it at its core. And I think it is banning, deplatforming, censorship is just not the solution. And I do think it is, and this I think this is where regulation needs to like, I think what I'm getting at is regulation is still trying to catch up. And I fear that the regulatory body, bodies and the policymakers are still going to try and look at this from a censorship angle versus an algorithmic angle of they're going to try and figure out who is right, who is wrong. Where do you draw the line? Where do you put the land, line in the sand? Which I think is really hard to do versus really trying to understand the tech and how the tech is created and how these companies create very sticky tech that gets people to stay on there for as long as possible and consume that content in an endless loop until they really truly understand that we're never going to have the right solutions to these problems so um emily bell who is the director of digital journalism at columbia yeah has a quote that i i just love and i think it will resonate with you which is in specifically talking about 
the idea of having a regulatory body that is funded by the United States federal government. I don't want the Federal Aviation Administration overseen by Boeing. What is happening right now is that Facebook is getting to a place at which they are creating the regulatory body through the oversight. That's what's happening. They are creating the, the, the infrastructure for an actual administration, a body that would regulate all of the industries within the social media footprint. And it's currently being led by one of the people or companies, sorry, that would need to be regulated. That to me is just so wrong. Agreed. But I, in their defense, which is very bizarre for me to say, I do think they are stepping up where no one else has stepped up. I think I would agree with you if they had invited other people to the table. It's not like they don't know the people who run Twitter. So you th- you're looking at it like actually opening up to other tech companies, like from a borders perspective, Pinterest, Twitter, YouTube, got it. Snapchat. Yeah. Is that what, is that their response? But then, but then my defense, again, not defense, but my rebuttal there was, is that their responsibility to solve it for all platforms? Or are they, to your point, just trying to solve it for themselves? Because again, their remit is not all tech companies. Their remit is not social media platforms. Their remit is Facebook and Facebook alone. And then never saying they're trying to do good in the world, you know? Yeah, they are. They say it all the time. I'm pretty sure it's one of their taglines. That's maybe one where I'm just looking at it and call bullshit. That's why I said that. So I was like, I'm pretty sure it's one of their fucking taglines. But they are the daily zeitgeist. They know that their footprint is a massive impact on what future technology, social media platforms will look to. So open the door. You know that everyone is looking at you to ask what this decision is that you're going to make. If you're going to bring 27 people around a table, if you're going to actually reference the UN's human right infrastructure in your, like, whatever they are, bylaws for the oversight body, bring other people to the table. So it is not just Facebook's infrastructure. That, to me, would have actually made the oversight body or oversight board viable and a thing that i would have like listened to that's so interesting i don't know but i think it might have made me more uncomfortable which is so weird wow okay where we went all over the place what do you think the recap of this is oh so we talked about like the recap tied to mental health of why this is important is to you what you were saying donald trump is like the 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 poster child for how do we solve this, but also the poster child of how messed up this can get and how quickly it can get out of hand. Um, But also how social media and the people's voices that we're hearing on social media can affect our day-to-day lives, our daily lives and our daily stability. I think for me, there's a couple of things to wrap out on. Mental health is a challenge. Social media makes that harder. It also helps when there are community aspects. But if the responsibility is on the individual, the individual user, not content creator, then it will be extremely hard to grapple with the reality of real life versus what is presented on social media. And I think the key, like the thesis of this conversation is What's happened with Facebook's oversight board 
doesn't solve the issue of where the line should actually be drawn Mm -hmm. for content that is dangerous. And we have a massive, massive length of a bloody runway before we can get to a safer internet. Because it's not just about social media. There are so many other areas of the internet that are actually dark and scary and dangerous places. And we have a very long road to get there and we will not get there if we do not have a regulatory body that's involved and engaging and tech companies invited to the table. And it's, I love that because it's also a perfect reminder that we've been trying to solve a lot of this offline for hundreds of years and we haven't solved it yet. And so there's a weird expectation that now that it's happening online and it's visible to everyone and it's visible to the younger people and there's like very little boundaries and things move way faster that we solve this faster and I think that's just a good reminder of why I love having this conver- these conversations even though it's always frustrating because we always end up with it's really fucking hard and there's no direct no one can actually pinpoint to a solution apart from we need more dialogue around it um but I always find it fascinating because we haven't solved it actually in IRL um, and we're somehow expected to solve it um, online in such a short period of time. And we're talking 10, 10, 15, 20 years max that we've been dealing with this, um, which is always fascinating. Well, the one thing I will kick myself if I don't say it, algorithms are not the fucking answer. No, algorithms are not the answer. A big part for me of the solution is understanding how the algorithms work and function and understanding how they drive users, user journey, user engagement. That is going to teach us a lot, Um, way more than whack-a-mole deplatforming people and censoring shit. Um, That always, history has shown us that that will come and bite us in, in the backside in the end. And history can't have shown us that algorithms won't do it. And so people need to stop suggesting that they will fix it. made it one more episode done thanks so much for tuning in and listening along with tony and i if you liked it please do share it with your friends and family or give us a review on whatever you listen to for your podcasts